What's up, everyone? I want to tell you about a car that you are going to love. Check it out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, I love that, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. So let's say you're ready to take the family on a camping trip or something like that. The Santa Fe is perfect for you. You've got all-wheel drive. You can load everyone up in the third row. It's time to start being adventurous, and you need the right car, and that's the Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. On his way to the end zone. I'll tell you what, that was a spectacular play. It's time to dominate your fantasy league. What a play! Off to the races! Some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, Heath, and Ben. In preparation for the 2020 tight end preview, I went back and listened to the first 15 or 20 minutes of the 2019 tight end preview. And uh, one of our analysts said 2019 was going to be the year of the tight end. It was said a little bit facetiously, but we talked about the depth of the position. And I even said, hey, I could figure out ways to get excited about Jordan Reed, Vance McDonald, and Delaney Walker. Uh, yeah, this happens every year with tight end, right? So let's ask Dave, Heath, and Ben, is this the year of the tight end? As in, is it actually a deep position this year or is it four or five really good guys and everyone else feels like a streamer? I think there's a really distinct line to be drawn between expectations for the position of the whole and the profile of the players that you're drafting. Like last year, there was... I mean, it's a position with a higher bust rate than I think people realize. It's a position with a higher injury rate than wide receiver, not quite as high as running back. But there are guys that don't pan out. We should expect that this year. That doesn't mean that it's not a deep draft pool, that there's not a lot of guys that we can make pretty good upside cases for. Hmm, That was a a bit of a non-answer, I'd say. No, I think he's exactly right. It's extremely deep on draft day and probably will be like most years where we have five or six decent guys and 17 streamers. Okay. So Dave, what does that mean for the elites? Because, you know, I feel like we do a pretty good job with the elites. I I feel like they don't turn out to be busts that much. Um, And that's good. Well, I remember last year we talked about the big three and then we talked about the next three. And I don't know if we can feel good about every member of the next three. The big three were fine. Yeah. That's but, uh, Hunter Henry was okay, but he had his moments where he wasn't. And Evan Ingram and OJ Howard, I believe, were the other two mm-hmm. in that next Ooh. three. And uh, yeah, that did not work out so well. And I, I think I think we're, we should be conditioned by now to say there will never be a year of the tight end where they you know, start to like 10 of them are as good as the top 24 wide receivers or something like that. But I, I think there is depth there this year. At the very least, you will be able to come away from your draft with someone you're comfortable starting in week one. And you can get that person in the double digit rounds easily. And that makes it a position that you don't have to stretch for. All right. So how I asked you about quarterback. How many quarterbacks were you comfortable with as your starter? How deep in the rankings does that go? Uh, Heath, how deep in the rankings do you go at tight end? It's a good question, Adam. And for some reason, I was unprepared for you to ask it. Um, I feel confident that there are seven, eight tight ends that I can draft. And I don't think I'm going to stream if I draft those eight tight ends. I think I'm going to be okay. Can I guess the names of those eight tight ends? Um, Sure. <gasps> Kelsey Kittle, Ertz, Andrews, Higby, Waller, Henry, Engram. Um. No, Hurst not instead of Higby. Hurst instead of Higby. Yeah. Wow, you're going there with Hurst already, and I've got Higby instead of Hurst, and uh, I I would put Gronk in there too. Not that I would expect Gronk to have huge yardage numbers, but I think he's better than a streamer. I think if you draft Gronk, you'll feel okay starting him. I don't know at least the first month, month and a half of the season. 
So my answer, Adam, is nine. But if you want to include streamers, the number's 18. And then after we get past that point, do you want to try to get two of those guys or are you just, you're just thinking, oh, I'm probably going to have to stream? So, you know, we're talking about Blake Jarwin and Mike Kosicki and uh, Jared Cook, uh, you know, Noah Fant, guys like that. Uh, are they? Do you feel like you want two of them or do you feel like you just want to draft one and expect that you might have to make some changes? Depends on the depth of the league. Um, if it's a league like, you know, some of our, some of our CBS default leagues that we play that only have five bench spots, I probably won't take a backup. I did in our auction the other night. And I think that was a mistake. Um, if it's, uh, a deeper league, I think you should, and and you've waited till that tier. I think you should definitely try to grab two because you'll have a harder time finding an impact player on the waiver wire, obviously. In, in most leagues, I'm going to try to carry two tight ends this year. Really? Because of COVID or because of the tight end? Because of COVID. Okay. Well, do you think it's a viable strategy, a good strategy anyway, to take two of those, you know, 12 to 18 in the rankings kind of guys and see if one hits? Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, if I, I, can, if I can come up with a name that I really like as a late round sleeper, I'm going to take him regardless of what I do at tight end. That, that's what I did with Waller last year. I just had conviction, thought he'd be a really good tight end. Uh, there were plenty of leagues where I drafted Kittle early and snuck Waller onto my bench late. And if you have that feeling about one of these late tight ends, whether it's Kasicki or Johnny Smith or Blake Jarwin, then I think it should be done. I, I think that that should be the criteria for carrying two tight ends, not necessarily saying, well, I have to get two because I waited so long to get one. Specifically with Kasicki. Um, and I know I've been down on him and I'm a little bit more excited about him now that half of their receiving core opted out. Like that's one where you can see the upside and be excited about him, but also see that they start the year against Buffalo and new England. And you, I, I don't think it's very responsible to draft Mike Gesicki as your only tight end. Yeah, I think that's true. Adam, to your original question, I think that's not just a reasonable decision. I think that's probably the the correct and smart way to play what we just led the show off with, which is we think there's a lot of viable breakout potential candidates that stretch into, um, you know, names like John New Smith that we haven't talked about. I even think Irv Smith is interesting. Chris Herndon goes really late. Eric Ebron could could catch on with the Steelers. Tons there's of a lot of a lot of names that um, could wind up being low end tight end ones. And we've seen that at this position. Absolutely. We saw it from Waller. Dave just mentioned uh, Mark Andrews prior, you know, Jordan Reed's breakout year and, and Delaney Walker was that guy when your Tyler Eifert's big year was uh, from a late round spot outside the top 12 tight ends. Uh, you know, just those are just off the top of my head in the last maybe five or six years. I know Reed, Reed and Eifert were, I think the 2016 season, but that that's or, or 2015 maybe, but that's, uh, a position where that can happen, but we also know a lot of them are going to bust. So why like, yeah, that's, that's exactly what, what, what you said, Adam makes perfect sense. Take two of them. Hope you hit one. And if you don't, you got to move on from both of them. All right. So, so we like a lot of the names that are going late in drafts, but still Kelsey and Kittle who are top 20 picks right now, or maybe top 24, uh, got Kittle 24th, 25th in a draft I did last weekend. Uh, they're still probably going to stand out and maybe there will be others. So this year, what do you think your draft strategy is going to be with tight end? How much do you want one of those top two? Do you want somebody from the next year? Where's your favorite tier? Give me the overall strategy, what you would tell people about how to draft tight end. Let's start with Dave. Overall, I think you're looking for value a little bit more than last year. Last year with those top three guys, Kelsey Kittle Ertz, Drafting them at the high cost was like a necessary evil if you didn't want to fool around with the tight end position all year. I I don't think that's necessarily the case now because there's another tight end that's in that elite tier, Mark Andrews, and there are so many tight ends in the second tier after. It's not the next three. Now it's like the next four, the next five, or maybe the next six, depending on how you look at those guys. So I, I feel like when I see Travis Kelsey going round one, I think that's a reach. And I see George Kittle go before 20th overall. I think that's a reach too. I see Ertz or Andrews in round three. I don't I don't feel good about that. I'm looking for value at tight end this year. I'd rather spend those early picks on running backs. I'd rather pay fair price for running backs than overpay or pay what ADP says is a fair price for a tight end. Ben and Heath, when do you guys think you'd be able to pull the trigger on Kelsey or Kittle? Yeah, I don't really like and Dave and I agree on a lot of things. I don't agree on what he said about Kelsey and Kittle. I don't think it's an evil 
to take Travis Kelsey at the one-two turn. If you've done that over the past three or four years, it's worked out well for you. And I don't think Mark, I don't think anyone's joined the tier of Kelsey and Kittle. Mark Andrews was like 50 points behind Travis Kelsey last year with a 12% touchdown rate that he has no chance of repeating. Um, I, I really would like to just have Travis Kelsey or George Kittle, especially if they're, if I can get Kelsey in the second round or Kittle in the middle of the second, like I, that just solves my problems. I am much better than everyone else, except for one guy in my league at one position. And then I'll solve the rest. I think that's easier to do in 10 team leagues, Heath, because depth at wide receiver just drips even further down and same thing for running backs. Like if it's a 10 team PPR and you want to try and just differentiate your lineup and you're going to go and get one of those top tight ends. I hear you. I think that that's probably a decent idea there. So like, I I guess my question would be, and and maybe Ben can be the tiebreaker on this, but my, I'm of the opinion that what Travis Kelsey and George Kittle have done the last two years in the landscape of the season, once the season's over, has been worth a top 15 pick minimum, probably a first round pick. I believe that. I can give you and, some numbers to sort of support that, at least for Travis Kelsey. Yeah, I don't know if I quite agree with that, but it's close to that. All right, so Kelsey has been a top 12 wide receiver three straight seasons. In PPR leagues, he has been a top 12 running back three straight seasons. In non-PPR leagues, he has been 15th, 11th, and 20th at running back in those last three seasons. So um, so why take him when you could take a running back who could finish higher than that? Yeah, right. So you're because taking him. The number 30 running back is going to score a lot more points than the number 12 tight end. Yep. Sure. Every yeah, every year. I mean, it's interesting. So you're basically like figure you're taking about tight end 10 or wide receiver 10 when you take uh, Travis Kelsey. Okay, so you're taking that over probably the fourth or fifth ranked uh, wide receiver in ADP. Right. Or maybe that's that's if you're Heath, because Heath, I know, is taking Travis Kelsey at the swing pick sort of like around the one two turn. Uh, not not according to fantasy pros. He's going 18th overall. So that might be more like wide receiver seven ish or so. That's a steal. That's what I'm talking about. So What's if a steal? you're in a draft with somebody who's Kelsey? not like Heath, you're you're gonna be able to find Kelsey a little bit later on in round two. And, and that's a home run getting him in the middle of round two. Okay. So it's like it's a matter of like five players for you, and that's Dave? Sure. Absolutely. Okay. I, I You've got to feel like you're kind of stealing. I'm going to borrow the same mantra I've used for quarterback for years, which is if you reach for one, you're going to lose. So it's just that has not been true for four years now. Well, with Kelsey specifically, maybe not. But last year, he was just as good as wide receiver eight in PPR. That was Allen Robinson. Where were we drafting Allen Robinson last year? Fourth, fifth round? If he was a wide receiver, that would be relevant. What? Say what? If he was a wide receiver, that would be relevant. The fantasy production was equal to that. And you only need to start one tight end in most leagues, whereas with running back and wide receiver, you've got to start multiples of those positions. So you almost want to fill those positions, not necessarily before you get a tight end, but along the way as you get a tight end. Kelsey is as safe as it gets. Like him, Michael Thomas, um, I guess McCaffrey and Barkley and Zeke, like – that's, there's a reason why they're in the first round conversation. Julio, they're they're super safe guys. I'm not going to really ding you that much if you take them in round one, if you feel like you have to have them. And if you just don't want to mess around with tight end all year and you want to have a guy that's going to finish like a top 10 receiver, I get it. It's just not what I would want to do with a top 12 pick, knowing that I can, I'm probably not going to get Kittle in round two, but I can get Andrews or Ertz in round three or round four. Uh, would anybody take Kelsey in round one in a non PPR league or even a half PPR league? I'm more likely to. Oh wow! Because I think I'm so running back heavy in in those formats that it pushes Kelsey down a little bit for me anyway. Like I said, he was last year he was wide receiver ten ish or something, but he was like RB twenty. Um, so that was my thought. You're more likely to though, Ben. Yeah, I think that makes some sense. But <clears throat> my take on. Uh... On that is just that, that I think the elite tight ends, and this may not actually be true, but in, in at least in my mind, it is that they 
Um, the, the fact that they can rack up a thousand yards and touchdowns, you know, I, there's, I, I feel like there's a, a less, there's a lower floor for the, the streamable tight ends. There's less viable guys that I can find that can maybe catch me five for 50, which feels okay in PPR, but 50 yards without a touchdown feels not okay in non non PPR. So I, again, I don't know if that, if that makes sense, but it makes sense, uh, to me where in, when I get into non, I'm, I'm looking more at the elite players at, um, at tight end. It's kind of similar to the point Heath made on, on the QB show, I think. And I, and I think Heath made a good point on that one, that he's more likely to take the QBs higher in, in non. All right, I mean, I think Kelsey and Kittle, though, like Kelsey had 97 catches. Kittle was on pace for 97 catches if he had played 16 games. And that's just an enormous catch edge over the other tight ends. You know, there aren't going to be that many that even get to like 70 catches. Um, and over the, what did I say? Over the last... I sent this out earlier. Over the last five seasons, tight end one has outscored tight end 12 by about 85 points on average in PPR and like 65 points or something in non-PPR. Uh, it's been just such an enormous advantage from tight end one to tight end 12. And that's why these are appealing. And I, I think, look, 18th for um, for Kelsey and 20... What did I say? I'm sorry. For Kittle in the 20s, low 20s, uh, 20th. I think uh, we're we're all fine with those with those ADPs, so we can come back to that in a little bit. Um, well, I, can yeah. I just jump yeah. in? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Heath and Dave are making a good conversation. They're having a good conversation. I wanted to let it go, but I I kind of came into this with um, kind of this one point that I wanted to make that I've made a couple times I think over the last couple of weeks. But for anyone who hasn't listened to you know every one of our shows, that I think that Kelsey and Kittle get pushed down specifically because tight end feels so deep, and there are a lot of interesting late round streamers and drafters are less inclined to fill this onesie position early. Yep. But I think that their value is right where Heath was saying. I, I, that's where, and I don't, I don't mean to like take sides, but this is a, a take that I've had for several months. Like, I think he's right. I think Kelsey and Kittle, frankly, both should be at the one, one, two turn based on their pure value. Um, but I just don't think that you have to make that pick, which is kind of Dave's point as well, because there are a lot of interesting upside options but that does mean, like Dave said, if you get them in the late second round, you are stealing relative to like what their value should bring for your team. And, right. And like we were having this discussion about should you take them early second, middle second or late second? Nobody's making that decision. They have a pick at some point in the second round and they have to make the decision of whether they take one of those guys. Or no, not. But but it's a really a matter of who's off the board when you finally say, OK, now it's time for the tight end. Right. So if we look at average draft position, like. Would everybody take the tight ends over Aaron Jones? Yes. Yeah. Heath, yes, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Would everybody take them over Jackson and Mahomes? Oh, yeah. Yes. Chris yep. Godwin? No. Um, I think I have Godwin in... I, see, I have a, a group of about five or six players in between them. Um, but I would, I would take Kelsey over Godwin, yes. I would take both tight ends over Godwin. How about Miles? Take Godwin over both. Miles right. Sanders. Oh come on, Miles Sanders. I would take Kelsey over Miles Sanders. Ooh, Sanders over Kittle. We I thought we were all just so excited about Sanders as a first round pick. I, I got to take Sanders. What yeah. about like Kenyon Drake and and Austin Eckler? That's where I probably lean the tight ends. Not me. I'm taking the running backs. Um, I would take Kelsey over um, Drake. I have Eckler ahead of all those guys. And this is a perfect example, Adam. And this is really, I, I think one of the things that every single fantasy manager has to do before they go into their draft is figure out where that breaking point is for them among the, they're not necessarily elite tier running backs, but how they feel about Sanders, Edwards, Hilaire, Mixon, Chubb, Josh Jacobs, Drake, Eckler. Because if you don't really love those guys, you will probably veer towards someone safer. And these tight ends are as safe as they get. Okay, let me finish up on that. Are they as safe as they can get? The only thing I could see uh, hurting these two would be other players on the team stepping up and grabbing more target share. These guys, Kelsey and Kittle, could be around 25% target share, but the Niners drafted a wide receiver in round one. Maybe McCole Hardman and Sammy Watkins have better years than they had last year. Um, Clyde Edwards-Elair, maybe he cuts in a little bit. We did have Tyreek Hill get hurt. The targets weren't really all that different with or without Tyreek Hill last year, so I don't think that's a big difference. But I, I just to finish off, do you see 
We can make a downside case for everybody. We did it last week. Everybody is a bust for this week. But do you see realistic downside or do you feel like Kettle and Kelsey, Kettle, <laughs> Kittle and Kelsey are very, very safe? Other than injury. And Ben's right about tight ends getting hurt more than receivers. Like they could get hurt. But I think we need, like we don't talk about very often with true number one wide receivers. Oh, these secondary guys might do something except for Michael Thomas. Cause he had 400 targets last year. And I don't, I think that's the way it is with, with Kelsey and Kittle. Like they're better than all these other players we're talking about. They're and used appropriately too. their coaching staffs know it. And in the case of Kelsey, uh, he's never going to get double team because Tyreek Hill is on the field and defenses would almost rather take their chances with Hill than Kelsey, unless they're like inside the five. And that's never really stopped Travis Kelsey. Kittle could be a slightly different story because we just don't know what that receiving core is going to look like. But the 49ers have schemed him up so well, uh, really with Kyle Shanahan at the helm. And it's been great for him. Numbers have been great. So even if they're the primo number one targets and the defenses know it, they can overcome it. They can beat the double team. No, no concern for me on Kelsey other than injury because he is 31. Um, and for the reasons Dave said, but Kittle is a little bit concerning to me that he's such a good blocker. And I've said this before that, that they don't run him on a ton of routes. He was like 10th at the position in routes. And then his targets per route run rate was incredibly high last year. It was the second highest since 2006, which is as far back as my database goes. If like Jordan Reed starts to run a couple routes and they keep using Kittle more as a blocker, that's the only concern. I, the only case I can make against Kittle, I'm not meaningfully downgrading him. I, I yeah. wouldn't that stun you though, Ben? Yeah, it would. they came out and they said, you know, George Kittle, this great, you know, Pro Bowl tight end. We're going to have him block more because we want Jordan Reed, who we just signed in August and might not play four games. Um, we need him to play and catch more. I mean, that I, I think Kittle's role is locked in. Yes, he will block a lot, but he will also make a lot of big plays. He's a yards yeah. after. He, he's a he's like Rob Gronkowski. I've been saying this for three years now. Yep, and uh, I actually think Kittle has more injury concern than Kelsey, even though the age, because he's so physical. Uh, and he did miss two games last year. And the other thing is, three seasons under Mike, other under Kyle Shanahan, no 49er has caught more than five touchdowns. A 49er, a tight end, has led the team in touchdown catches all three years. It was Selleck, Kittle, and Kittle, but never more than five touchdowns. Kyle Shanahan has been an offensive coordinator or a head coach for 12 seasons. He has never had a double-digit touchdown player. And in San Francisco, he's never had more than a player with more than five touchdown catches. It's That's a weird. really interesting stat because every team has different red zone, you know, schemes. And he's a real creative guy. And it might be that he's just never wants to get into a pattern, never wants to go the same way. And he's had the two two of the best wide receivers ever who just couldn't score a lot of touchdowns in Andre Johnson and Julio Jones. Um, all right. So we talked about the late round guys. Tell me. We'll, we'll get into these guys a little bit later, too. But tell me some of your favorites. And I, I've been sitting on this statistic that I saw before the show. I looked up before the show. I think it's amazing. When you look at the rookie seasons for George Kittle and Mark Andrews, very, very similar. And then you look at Noah Fance. It's like this. It's almost exactly the same. These three guys, all 515 to 562 yards and two to three touchdowns on 50 to 66 targets. Noah Fant has had very, very similar rookie season to uh, Mark Andrews and George Kittle. So I know that's somebody that I really want um, uh, with a ton of upside, but obviously an easy case to make against George uh, Noah Fant is, boy, they brought in some competition for him and they have Drew Locke, unfortunately. But um, yeah, so... Well, that unfortunate? Well, yeah, it might not be. It might not be, but he wasn't He wasn't very good last year. But anyway, uh, who are some of your favorites? He was efficient. He was all right. Sure. He was all right, but he's going to have to be good because they also didn't address the backup spot. They, they brought in Jeff Driscoll. So that's my biggest concern. Yeah, and the they're banking on Locke. They're, they're banking on Locke being good. And if he's not, ugh. Well, either, you know, either way, I still think Noah Fan is worth a, a late-round flyer, at least for me. How about you guys? Who are your favorites? Uh, why don't we start with Heath Cummings? Yeah, I like um, Jonu quite a bit. Um, I think like if you look at what he did after Tannehill took over and then you expect that they're not going to throw 450 times, that he has a decent chance to be a top 12 tight end. I like Fant. He'd probably be my second favorite. Jarwin for sure. And then the one that like everybody likes Jarwin. Everyone, there's people that like Fant. There's a couple of people that like Jonu. The one that it seems like nobody talks about is Jack Doyle. 
Um, the last time we saw him without Eric Ebron, he caught 80 passes and finishes the number six tight end in PPR scoring, despite the fact that he had like a 3% touchdown rate. I, I think that I, we're sleeping a little bit on the upside for Jack Doyle, an offense that's always amongst the lead leaders in tight end targets and a quarterback that likes to target that position as well. Yeah, but he did have, I think people are a little sour on him because he did play five games without Ebron at the end of last year and he was terrible. Uh, well, but the last not holding that against T.Y. Hilton, every, right? Everyone was terrible last year uh, in that passing game. Um, fair enough. Okay, so yeah, Jack Doyle, another interesting sleeper. He probably won't get drafted in most leagues, and if he has a good week one, he's going to be one of the most added players. Uh, Dave, some of your favorite late round picks. Colts have a good schedule early on. That'll help Jack Doyle. Um, I I haven't watched Jarwin close enough to really say that he's going to be amazing but you just look at what the tight end targets have been in dallas with dak prescott under center year over year it's over 100 per year and i don't think dalton schultz is gonna i think that's who their backup tight end is there someone can correct me if i'm wrong but i think jarwin's gonna end up getting a lot of that and they've they've got the rams in week one i think that that could be a high scoring game so at the very least you could stream jarwin um i'm getting the sense that he could be good but i don't necessarily have the, the film to back it up. It's probably something I should have done during the off season, but I was a little kind of busy with everything else that was going on during the off season. And I'm sorry, I can't get, I, I, am I going to die on the Austin Hooper Hill? Not that I'm targeting him with a top 100 pick, but I still think Cleveland brought him in for a reason. Baker Mayfield does have that tendency to lean on his tight ends. The third of his touchdowns have gone to tight ends in the, in the pros and I'm almost certain he's not going to get double teamed very often in Cleveland. I think he could end up getting a lot of touchdowns this year, more than he had in his seasons in Atlanta. He's the 11th tight end. Hooper's the 11th tight end off the board. Hayden Hurst is the 12th tight end off the board. Who do you guys like better, Hurst or Hooper? Hurst by a million miles. I'm not there yet. I'm saying Hooper. I have Yeah, I have Hurst by uh, quite a bit as well. 500 miles. 500 miles. I- I am um, <laughs> I'm coming around on Hooper being okay as tight end 11 or tight end 12 since he stayed at Baker Mayfield's house for a month. I have learned not to disregard players living <laughs> together. That's funny. I, I So Hooper, I wrote up in my little range of outcomes pieces that I've been doing on the site, um, and I, I gave him a pretty narrow range. I think he's definitely going to be used and definitely going to be fine. I just don't see the upside in the sense that we know they're going to go to two tight end uh, um formations a lot under Stefanski and one of the big things we've heard that was kind of peculiar for a lot of the beats out there in Cleveland was that Najoku offer or uh, you know demanded a trade requested a trade and then I, I think he's since rescinded that but there was some talk that was like it never really made sense because everything that we've ever heard from the new coaching staff uh, is there's a lot of optimism about Njoku and what his role will be so I'm kind of expecting we'll see something similar to the Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith combination last year, except rather than that they had in Minnesota under Stefanski, but rather than having an injured Adam Thielen and only Stefan Diggs, which helped the tight end targets, I think they're going to be splitting a smaller share because of Beckham and whenever Landry's healthy and then running backs in Hunt particularly that are, are very involved. Um, it just, it's hard for me. Like if I was going to go there, I'd probably go to Njoku in a really deeply. All right. And I just want to, if you want to be optimistic about Hooper and you're worried about targets, he's a very high catch rate guy, which is good. And in his first nine games of the season before his injury, he was the number one tight end in fantasy. And that was with about a 17% target share. I think he caught 84% of his targets, which is really high, but, but he was able to be successful. Um, with only a 17% target share. And I've always made the kind of the case that like you look at the personnel, Atlanta last year and Cleveland this year, they feel kind of similar to me. Beckham Landry, uh, you know, is is this kind of similar to Jones and Ridley, tight ends mm-hmm. there, you know, you got Sanu and Najoku, a little bit different. The volume though is obviously going to be very different. I think right. that's what people 17% are. of 500 is a lot less than 17% of 620. Yeah. Right. That's what I was going to say. He was averaging seven and a half targets per game, which brings me to the point on Hurst. Is he going to get exactly that? Are they going to just dump that entire role from last year 
right into Hayden Hurst's lap. I know that he's an exciting prospect, but he's never really put it all together. I think he has one game in his career with over 50 yards. So I'm nervous about trusting him the same way I would have trusted Hooper had Hooper stayed in Atlanta. Yeah, I, and Jamie Jamie told us that that Matt Ryan said he thought Hurst was the most athletic tight end he's he's ever seen, which is right? ridiculous because he he threw to Tony Gonzalez. But <laughs> he was thirty five years. years old. <laughs> I would I would I would guess he's a better athlete than Tony Gonzalez was at thirty five. All right, look if he he might be able to put it all together, and that would make <laughs> Atlanta want to throw to him seven times a game. Um, I I do think. Like I have, I've only got him at six targets a game by 80% of Hooper's targets, but that's a hundred targets. Like oh. he, Hooper was on pace for 120 targets. He gets a hundred targets from Matt Ryan in that offense. Yeah. He's a top 10 tight end. That's pretty, that's going to be really good. Yeah. Uh, ben, I was going to ask you for your favorite late round tight ends, but we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll do sleepers, breakouts and busts. We'll start with Ben there. Um, and uh, we haven't talked much about the mid round guys who last year were O.J. Howard, Evan Ingram, Hunter Henry, Eric Ebron, Jared Cook, David Njoku, Vance McDonald. How about that ADP? The year before that, you want the ADP from 2018? Gronk, Kelsey, Ertz, then Jimmy Graham, Evan Ingram, Greg Olson, Delaney Walker, Kyle Rudolph, Jordan Reed, Trey Burton. A lot of misses. Uh, You're probably better off waiting. George Kittle was a late-round pick that year. Um, Maybe you're better off taking the first three. Yeah, that I yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Although actually, I think Gronkowski uh, wasn't so good la- that year. He was number one, and he finished as the eleventh best tight end in 2018. So that was he was a bust actually. Yeah, that was Kittle breakout year. Yeah, Kelsey and Ertz were great. Kittle was great that year as well. All right, we'll come right back with sleepers, breakouts, and busts. We'll do some ADP review right after this quick break on fantasy football today. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Sleepers breakouts busts at the tight end position. Ben, who's your favorite sleeper? Mike Gesicki. It's actually not anymore. Oh, really? Wow. Breakout? Yeah, it's funny. Heath was saying that he's gotten a little more optimistic because we argued about Gesicki all offseason, and I've gotten a little more pessimistic. So we're wow. coming towards each other. Um, I think at this point, I would prefer TJ Hawkinson. And I kind of crystallized that a couple of weeks ago when I was doing some of this yards per route run research. And I've referenced that targets per route run number a couple of times. Gesicki was on the lower end. Uh, Hawkinson was pretty strong in that, in that, um, in that uh, metric. And that metric was pretty predictive of the future and yards per route run in particular is very good at at predicting young tight ends. And so Heath has been saying all off season, what about Gesicki's efficiency? Well, there is the possibility, you know, that list of names you just gave before the break, Trey Burton and those guys. There's a possibility that Gasicki is that guy in two years. We're looking back, like, remember when we thought Mike Gasicki was great because he has not been good yet. There's still a good case for him, and he'll be my second my, my second favorite sleeper. He's a really good athlete. He got a ton of volume last year. Now that Albert Wilson's opted out, I got to assume he's still going to have that slot role, uh, especially if Fitzpatrick starts to, to begin the season, which I expect that he will. He was targeting Gasicki downfield a lot last year. It's kind of a small sample that Gasicki wasn't real efficient down the field. He could be. People talk a lot about the fact that he can't break tackles, but his average depth of target is a lot higher than most tight ends. He just needs to make plays down the field with his athleticism. We'll see if he can do that. But Hawkinson had a really good targets per out run last year. Um, wasn't particularly efficient, but drew volume. Has that pedigree as a top 10 pick going into year two. There's some concern about his rehab from the leg injury that he got that he uh that ended his season last year uh and i've seen it compared to chris thompson several years back where you know he got a player that rolled up on him i'm 
going to be keeping a close eye on reports about his health. Um, but that's that's the guy that I want, that I think you know really could break out. As we record this on August sixth, T.J. Hawkinson still on the COVID nineteen list, I believe he has not been taken off. But yes. ho- hopefully that will be soon. And big news for T.J. Hawkinson: Week three, baby, at Arizona, where he had <laughs> six catches, one hundred thirty-one yards, and a touchdown. Um, all right, uh, Heath, who's your favorite sleeper tight end? I will say Jonu Smith, and I will defend that pick with some Azer stats. Yeah. Adam uh, Adam Azer. Jonu Smith, uh, his final 10 games with Ryan Tannehill, had, was on a 46-5, and 5 pace. That's not particularly good, but I have the Titans projected for about 20% more pass attempts than they had in 2019, and 20% above that would be about 650 yards and six touchdowns, which is generally a top 12 tight end. And remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago when he struggled in those games. And by the way, what you're talking about is with Tannehill. It's also without Delaney Walker it coincided with Delaney Walker's injury. When he struggled, it was when Ryan Tannehill was throwing about 20 passes. And that's when John U. Smith was invisible. But when Tannehill had an even respectable amount of pass attempts, Smith uh, was mostly good. Is he going to be second on the team in targets? How could he not be? <laughs> right? um, I, I mean, Corey Davis got more targets than him last year, and I expect Corey Davis will probably get a few more than him this year. What was that number for Corey Davis last year? 90? Smith only had uh, 44 targets last year. Yeah. Well, remember, he spent a good chunk of the year as the number two tight end. I mean, yeah. they threw the ball like 17 times a game. Right. Corey Davis only had 69 targets last year. Nice. So I, I think that John, who could probably beat that, but I think he'd, I think he would struggle to get it to 90 targets. Uh, Dave, who's your favorite sleeper? I'll say Noah Fant. Uh, I, I think in his second season, the things that you mentioned, those stats are interesting. I don't think that necessarily means that he's just going to follow that exact same trajectory, but I do see him as a good yards after the catch type of tight end. That's a trait that both Kittle and Mark Andrews have and something like 300 of his 500 yards came after the catch last year, two of the huge plays, one against Houston, one against Cleveland, um, Maybe you could say that mistakes were made by the defense and Fant just took advantage, but he's also a big, fast dude who probably needed the first year to get acclimated to the NFL game. And uh, I, I think he could end up taking a nice step in his second year. One note, he was one for eight in deep ball targets last year, but five of the eight targets were uncatchable. So he's one out of three on the deep ball, which for a first-year tight end, I think that's pretty good. And I think he's got room to develop. And yeah, there are, there's a lot of new faces in that offense. And Jerry Judy might not be your typical rookie wide receiver. He might be able to adapt faster than KJ Hamler, for example. But I think Noah Fant can still be pretty good. And I like his schedule. Four of his first games, four of his first six games, excuse me, very good matchups for him, including week one against Tennessee. All right, let's go to breakouts here. We'll go Dave Heath, Ben. Uh, Dave, who's your favorite breakout? Higby. <laughs> was was that? That was amusing? good. And we like this is an area. Maybe a little. Thirty-eight minutes into the show, and we've kind of completely my fault neglected this area of tight end, the uh, like Andrews through Gronk range, I guess. So, all right, Dave well, likes Andrews Tyler shouldn't Higby. Be, no, don't confuse Andrews in the same tier as Higby. No, no, they're not in the same tier. Sorry. I just mean we haven't really talked about them. But um, all right, go ahead uh, with Tyler Higby. All right, a little bit of an azer step in his final five games. Higby averaged 11 targets per game, led all tight ends in fantasy points. He had 12.4 fantasy points per game in non-PPR, 21 PPR fantasy points per game in the last five. He ranked third in yards per route run at 2.6. You could took, you could look at that positively. Wow, he's an exciting young athletic player. Or boo, he didn't run as many routes. Kind of the same thing as Kittle. And that's the case for Higby is that he doesn't run a ton of routes. He does block right around 15 to 20 percent of the time and that includes in those games where he did break out i don't think he's getting the kind of target share in la 
coming back from from what happened at the end of last season. But the Rams offense was pretty good in those final five games. And you saw Cooper Cup and and Robert Woods. They didn't get huge numbers, but they had some decent numbers. Gurley had good numbers those final five games. Here's the guy that had good numbers in those final five games. And this is what the Rams care about. Jared Goff. His fantasy point totals were fine. He was playing a little bit more comfortably. They weren't playing against the top defenses in the league either. And Cup or Cup Goff was leaning on Higby a little bit more. And I think that's going to stick. I think it wouldn't make sense for the Rams to ignore this guy who reminds me of Kittle. And Kittle reminded me of Gronk. So you see kind of the similarities between them. These these big hulking tight ends that can make a play after the catch. They were giving Higby screen passes like three times a game. Who does that <laughs> at tight end? I think he's going to get involved in that offense. And I've cooled my jets on taking him with a top 70 pick. But once I'm past maybe 75th overall, maybe 80th overall, I'm looking for Tyler Higby to start as my tight end for the year. He is a round seven pick right now in half PPR fantasy pros. The thing, and let's have a little bit of a Higby debate because I think we have some differing opinions here. If you look at those five games, he faced Arizona twice, best matchup in fantasy. He faced Seattle. They were the second best matchup. He faced Dallas. They were a top 10 matchup. He faced the Niners who really weren't that good against good tight ends. So the matchups were good. Jared Goff was on pace for fifty for 5,258 yards and 691 pass attempts. Higby was on pace for 179 targets. Woods was on pace for 189 targets. Cup was on pace for only 96 targets. Brandon Cooks was, uh, was on pace for very few targets. He was pretty invisible. Wow, um, so there's more targets to go around. I, I mean... I guess, but but I'm just saying like 690 pass attempts. I don't know how Goff is going to throw that much. Um, the matchups were great. I don't know what to take away from it. Obviously, obviously it was an unsustainable pace. He, it was a record-breaking pace. But I think, Ben, in particular, you've been a little skeptical of Higby, right? Yeah, I mean, he just didn't do a lot in his entire NFL career, which has been a few years before those five games. He didn't do a ton in his college career. He wasn't like a, a very productive tenant in college. So it's really this five-game sample that's hard to read. I do recognize that if that sticks, he's going to be phenomenal. He, you know, he, he is the ultimate boomer bust. He did very little up until that point, and then he did something in five games that no other tight end's ever done before. So it's a really challenging thing to to – identify you know where you place him for me Gerald Everett still matters uh and people have pointed out that he came back he missed the first three of those five games he came back and then only played four snaps in the final two and and I've seen differing takes on that one is Higby had established himself clearly and and Everett was no longer necessary and then the other is Everett was just never really fully healthy again and they didn't need to press him back in, in you know week 16 and 17 uh I Everett was a guy that typically outperformed Higby for a couple of years prior to those five games, whenever it was injured, he's going to be healthy. He also had solid yards per outrun, target per, targets per outrun numbers, although Higby's were phenomenal. Um, so I'm a little bit concerned that with Everett back, there's this like, you know, two man, two man game going there in a way that, you know, I talked about with the Browns is concerning for me for the top 10 end usually. All right, Heath, who's your favorite breakout this year? <clears throat> It's Hayden Hurst. And I can say other things that I didn't say earlier about him. Uh, Dirk Cutter's offense, 121 is the minimum number of targets over the past three seasons dedicated to the tight end position. The Falcons obviously will be amongst the league leaders in pass attempts because Cutter's offenses always are. He hasn't had a team throw less than 605 passes over the last three years. And so that means Julio Jones can have 160 targets. Calvin Ridley can have 130 targets. Russell Gage could even have 90 targets and there's still room for Hayden Hurst to get a hundred targets in this offense. And when he gets those targets, I would expect he will be better on a per target basis than Austin Hooper was. That's not only because he's been better so far. It's a really small sample size, but also Hurst was a first round pick unlike Hooper. And Matt Ryan has already said that Hurst is a better athlete than Hooper. So I just, I like, I think there's a good chance that Hayden Hurst has a better year this year than Austin Hooper has ever had in his career. Okay. And Ben, who's your favorite breakout? I'm taking Evan Ingram. Still love everything he's been able to do to this point in his career. Obviously, injury prone. We know that. But, um, you know, we talked a little bit about draft strategy early. I like to pay up for the top guys. If I don't, I'm trying to find someone that falls past ADP in the next group. And Ingram is someone in a lot of drafts that, um, or I'm waiting till a late round sleeper if I don't find that. But, 
Ingram is one that I see in a lot of drafts tends to fall uh, at least past where I have him ranked at tight end five and, and even past ADP because people are so concerned about that injury. But three straight years where he's seen strong targets per route rate uh, route run numbers when he's on the field, he's going to be targeted. I know they have a lot of options, um, but he's somebody that has clearly like shown that he's going to see plenty of targets for a tight end and has that athleticism, that four, three athleticism that not many tight ends have. So he, to me, is the guy who has this monster upside if he can just stay healthy. How would you guys rank Hunter Henry, Evan Ingram, and uh, Tyler Higby? Unlike the other two gentlemen. That's how I would rank them. <laughs> how, do, how would you In rank fact, them? I imagine that I will rank them the exact opposite of how Ben Gretsch will rank them. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Higby one for you, Dave. Higby, Henry, Ingram. Yep, exact opposite. Yep. <laughs> um. Yeah, I I go back and forth on Hen- Henry and Ingram. I mean, the Henry concern is obviously Terod Taylor and how many passes are they going to throw? Um, does he stay healthy? I mean, he's got almost the same injury, maybe even more of an injury risk than than Ingram has. Um, I just I don't like the way that the Giants have used Evan Ingram. They throw it to him a lot but they throw it to him like four yards. They use him like Jason Witten and now they've got Jason Witten's old coach. And so I just don't know. I mean, if Ingram, he certainly had the athleticism when he came into the league, if he has that same athleticism and it shows up on the field, then he can do a lot of stuff after the catch and make up for that. But he did not show that last year. And I'm, I'm a little worried about what he does on a per target basis. Okay. Uh, but I still have I still have him at the top of that group. He's enticing. Case four Ingram. Uh, you know he's been like, you know, number seven ish basically per game. That's what he was last year. I think that's what he was the year before, and he's he's shown a lot of glimpses. Um, but every time he's done well, it's been with someone else important off the field. It's usually been without Beckham. He's been great, and then last year in his eight games. None of the other four big players, Barkley, Shepard, Tate, Slayton, played more than six games. He didn't have, we don't know what his target share would be. The good case, the good thing though, is that we do know what Caden Smith's target share was uh, at the end of the year when everybody was healthy, and it was over 20%. It was about 20.4%. He got a ton of targets. So Daniel Jones showed that he would still throw to the tight end, even with everybody healthy. Uh, let's do busts here, guys. Busts, uh, biggest bust, uh, Ben. Uh, we've talked a little bit about Higby and Hooper, who are guys that I'm down on. I'll take Jared Cook. I don't really understand why he even gets drafted. Boo! But, <laughs> boo this man! So I do get that, you know, he scored a lot of touchdowns last year, and that's exciting. But uh, I'm pulling up his numbers. He only had like 70 targets or whatever. And then they added Emmanuel Sanders. Not, not even 70. I don't not know. even. 65. <laughs> um, he had nine touchdowns, a career high by three. He had 10.8 yards per target, a career high by 1.4 yards per target. He's not going to be that efficient again, even though he will probably still be much more efficient than he's been throughout his career. He's been better late in his career, and he's playing with Breeze. But I don't expect he's going to be an 11 yards per target tight end. That's just wild. Uh, so the yards and the tight end and the touchdowns are going to have to come down. The targets ne- would necessarily need to go up except they can't because no saint since Alvin Kamara has been drafted has had more than 75 targets other than Alvin Kamara or Michael Thomas. And they added Emmanuel Sanders, who I also don't think should get drafted in fantasy because those two dudes are both going to finish at like 55 to 60 or maybe 65 to 70 targets. They're not, neither of those guys has a path to a hundred targets in this offense. Uh, that, that is probably true. Uh, what, Keeps me coming back to Jared Cook is just that um, six touchdowns, 31 of the last 38 touchdowns, or th- 31 of the last 38 tight ends that have had six or more touchdowns have finished in the top 12. Uh, that's over the last five seasons. I just feel I mean, like they finished in the top six. I'm not sure. I don't think he's going to finish in the top six. And also, th- 31, of 30, do that. 31 of 38 is a good stat, but that still leaves 7 of 38. Yeah, but all seven, all seven that did not did not even get to 500 yards. So can and, he, can he, if you get to I'm, 500 yards and six touchdowns, you're going to be a top 12 tight end, and I think he's going to do it. 
I think he could do that and be 12th, <laughs> but like, that's like, it would not surprise me if he doesn't get to 500 yards this year. Yeah. But you know, the nine thing of the 11, nine of the 11 Jared cook seasons, he did not score six touchdowns, uh, but right. I, I just think that he's the number. I think that he's a reliable target for breeze. Um, he was, you know, he was hurt at the beginning of the year. Then breeze got hurt. So he, he had no targets with Teddy Bridgewater. And his pace in the last eight games with Breeze was only 76 targets. But if he gets 76 targets, I do think he'll be, you know, worth my last pick, basically. If he that gets was 76 his targets, though, like, and scores six touchdowns, he will be amongst the league leaders in touchdown rate. That's and he's, fine. I, I think that could happen. evidence to suggest Jared Cook should be amongst the league leaders in touchdowns. But rate. isn't Drew, but Drew Breeze the last two years has been incredible with touchdown rate. Yeah, so, yeah I, I think the touchdowns are maybe reasonable, but you also are taking his optimistic target pace for a certain subset of the season, and then that was without Emmanuel Sanders, right? So, so if you I really think... Yeah, that's true, and without Kamara for a lot of it, too. But it was also... Yeah, all right, fine. Uh, final thought for me is that I would love to do like a Noah Fant-Jared Cook combo if I miss out on Kelsey and Kittle, basically. But, you know, if it falls that way and I'm late, I think that, for me, that'd be a fine combo. But uh, Jared sure. Cook, he's probably a bust because he's going a little bit earlier in, in ADP than I thought he was. But, uh, all right, uh, Heath, so who's you're the getting him, So you're getting him at a sweet price in our drafts, and that's why you'll take the chance on him. I'll give you, yeah. I'll give you one more reason to take Jared Cook. Tampa Bay, Las Vegas, Green Bay, Detroit. First four matchups of the year. Seems pretty favorable. I think so. Green Bay might be the hardest one of the four. A lot of points. A lot of, a lot of shoutouts. All right. Uh, a lot of touchdowns. Heath, I just realized your bust. Dave saying that. I'm going to just go off the rails here for just a second because I don't go off the rails very often. I've realized why I'm so much fonder of Kelsey and Kittle. I'm super duper skeptical of, except for at the very extremes, of defense versus tight end. I'm kind of skeptical of defense versus all positions except for at the extremes, but even more so like the only defense that I really accepted last year was bad against tight ends was Arizona. Mostly I just didn't want to stream against a good defense, but I find it painful. It's really easy to stream quarterback. It's very easy to say, I'll draft a couple of quarterbacks and if they're bad, I'll just stream. If I draft a couple of bad tight ends, I don't feel all that confident in streaming. Cause I don't feel all that confident in how sticky defense versus tight end is. It's over a week-to-week basis, or especially going into a new year. I mean, that's totally fair. I think it's probably not that sticky. But you're talking about, do they have a good safety or do they have a good linebacker, basically, that's going to that's cover tight right. ends, right? Well, I Or do or they have do a they good have zone scheme? scheme to try and limit offensive players running between the hash marks? But, like, Ben, and you might know more about this, but do... Do you think that is something that is particularly like predictive over a week to week basis? I don't believe it is particularly predictive. Like um, if they've been bad in the past does not necessarily mean they're going to be bad in the future against in that particular regard. Yeah, so I would not I, year to year. I wouldn't say quote me on it. I'd have to double check, but I do I have seen some good research this offseason to suggest that we that we worry too much about wide receiver matchups and my hypothesis was that we care too much about things like wide receiver cornerback matchups or like Adam just said safety because those players don't right. cover those guys every single play of the of the game. And uh, it was particularly DFS related that the high owned wide receivers have busted at a much higher rate than other than like running backs. And that suggests that you know these guys that we think are in great matchups aren't necessarily in great matchups. But okay. I, I, the thing that's hard for me with tight end busts is, and you referenced it, Adam, like with Jared Cook. Oh, he's going, he's got a, an ADP of eighth on Fantrax, ninth on FSC, and thirteenth on MF. Like whoever's going the highest between Austin Hooper and Tyler Higby, I guess would be my my bust. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't want to be uh, like the Jared Cook guy based on his current ADP. I just know that nobody I draft with <clears throat> likes him, so I'm fine with him as as like a late as my one of my last picks. But I I could definitely see the case for Cook as a as a bust based on ADP. He's saying Higby or Hooper, Dave. Real quick, and then we'll get into ADP review. Who's your uh, who's your bust? I don't really on? I don't really have a bust. Like even Hayden Hurst, who I'm not sold on being this transcendent player in Atlanta now. Like I get, I get where Heath's coming from. I'm just not going to take him as soon as Heath will take him. 
Um, uh, it's it's not sexy to say Dallas Goddard's a bust. I don't think he's going to be nearly as good as he was last year. It's for you. It's, it's pretty obvious. for you. It's Ingram. I think it might be Ingram, just because of all the mouths to feed in that offense, and that he he could get. I, I think. I think Ben nailed it. Like he gets a lot of targets, but they're not necessarily D targets. They're not the type of targets that we want. He's certainly better in PPR. I think he's had double digit PPR points in 12 of 19 games past couple of seasons. And then a non PPR way worse. So he might be, he might be format dependent. Uh, I thought you were just kind of worried about his injuries, but um, of course. Yeah. Oh, you have him eighth. Heath and Jamie have him six. That's Evan. It's okay. for me to say that he's a bust when I have him right. Eighth, you know? Yeah. Uh, so just to sum it up, our favorite sleepers, Hawkinson for Ben, John U for Heath, Noah Fant for Dave. Favorite breakouts, Higby for Dave, Hayden Hurst for Heath, Evan Ingram for Ben, Jared Cook's a bust for Ben, uh, Tyler Higby or Austin Hooper would be a bust based on ADP for Heath, and Dave eh, loves tight ends. Like, like Dave is very optimistic. I, I like tight ends and I cannot lie. Hey, sure, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, ADP review. Uh, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, 18th and 20th. Great. Mark Andrews, awesome. Zach Ertz, early round four, basically, to mid-round four for Andrews and Ertz. How do we feel about these two guys? And then Darren Waller, round five. How do we feel about those three guys? Let's say that. I don't like Waller in round five. I think that's too soon. I don't like Ertz in round four in non-PPR. All feel a little high to me. I'm I'm good with Andrews at the end of the fourth. I'm good with Ertz in the fifth. I'm good with Waller in the sixth. But those all just feel a little higher than I would like to take them. Agreed. So is it just for Ertz and Waller target share, basically? More competition? I think it's I think it's a much bigger issue for Waller than it is for Ertz because something just tells me that Ertz and Wentz are in simpatico. And that those two are just, they're going to, they're going to have, Ertz is going to have his targets. And I'd be surprised if he was way below, he had 88 catches last year. I'd be surprised if he was below 80 this year. I think he'll be just fine. I think he'll end up being a great value. I'm not worried about Ertz. And I still like him better than Andrews in full PPR. But Waller, I don't see those targets being there for him. I think I those, those numbers go down. His touchdowns could go up. He could end up with five touchdowns, but he might only have, you know, 55 catches, something like that. Both those guys I, I did in the range of outcomes thing. And for both of them, I felt a little better after I did it because I had to acknowledge that both have high floors. I think they're both easily the candidate to lead their team in targets. I don't, I don't, I, I'm worried Goddard will play more on in single tight end formations now that he did so well last year when they're really heavy in two tight end formations and give Ertz a little bit more of a break. But Ertz is still going to lead that team in targets, I think, pretty easily. And I think the same for Waller, who also has new competition. So they have high floors. They have lower ceilings, I think, um, re- relative to what they've done, especially Waller last year and, and Ertz over the last two years. Um, but they're fine picks. Like if you get them after ADP, they're fine, stable tight ends. Darren Waller had 1,145 yards last year. If you haven't been listening this offseason, and you haven't heard me say this, but the last decade, the only 10 tight, the only tight ends with 1,000 yards are Jason Witten, Rob Gronkowski, Jimmy Graham, Greg Olson, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Zach Ertz, Darren Waller, and then Gary Barnage and Delaney Walker. Uh, the only one, like Barnage fin- followed up his 1,000-yard season with a terrible year. Delaney Walker followed up his 1,000-yard season as the number five tight end in fantasy with six hundred and uh, no, with uh, 800 yards and seven touchdowns. Uh, but neither of them had as many yards as Waller had. Neither of them were as young as Waller. And I just can't get over that raw number of 1,145 yards. You are talking about Hall of Famers in the last 10 years who have gotten there. Yeah, and I think it's important to recognize that, like, yes, part of it was because of volume, but he was also exceptionally good on a per-target basis as well. And his average depth of target wasn't actually that much less than Evan Ingram, but he averaged almost as many yards after catch as he did before the catch. Like, he was just really, really good. So I know from the way we draft that as I look on Fantasy Pros and some of the players going after Ertz and Andrews, I know that we would take, and you could just jump in if I'm wrong here, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, Calvin Ridley, James Conner ahead of them for sure. Um, I would, yes. Yeah, yep. Todd Gurley 
probably. Oh, I wouldn't take Connor. Sorry. No, I wouldn't be not. taking these running backs. Okay. Personally. Um, but Juju and Calvin Ridley for sure. Yeah. Then when you get to like the Cortland Sutton, Devin Singletary, uh, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf group, that's when I feel like we start looking at Ertz and Andrews and Waller a little bit later than that. Uh, so let me just say Seattle wide receiver or Waller or, or uh, Andrews or Ertz. Lockett. Andrews. Se- Seattle wide receiver. Yeah, that's close. I, I think Lockett's undervalued too. Okay, next up, let's go to the next re- next group of players. It's Hunter Henry, Tyler Higby, Evan Ingram. That's round six and seven. Hunter Henry, Tyler Higby, Evan Ingram. Quick thoughts there? I'm better in seven than six. I don't think that's shattering any news. You'd obviously rather get a player as late as possible. There's three of them. Whoever's last of those three, if you can get them in round seven, that's good value. Yep. I feel exactly like what Dave said, Sons, Tyler Higby. Okay, but do yeah. you feel like do you feel like they have investing a mid round picks round six or seven in Henry or, or Ingram or Higby, is that a lot better than waiting to get Noah Fant and Mike Kosicki and seeing who sticks? Yes. Why would what do you mean by better? Is it a better strategy? I'm not, they're obviously better, but would you rather save five rounds of your draft? and just go late round at this point? Or do you really have conviction about one of those guys, Higby, Henry, or Ingram, and say, okay, look, I can wait, and I could take a flyer on a couple of guys, but I'd rather just spend a sixth or a seventh round pick on this particular player because I really like him. I would rather uh, wait past the sixth or the seventh. I'd rather have the later option because in the sixth and the seventh is still where the wide receivers are strong for me. In the eighth, if I can get Ingram in the eighth, that's where it changes a little bit. And Henry slash Ingram are available in the eighth quite regularly. I think the thing that makes it really hard for me is I don't have, and we talked about it with the ADP, I don't have a good grip on, on in a, within a draft where Hayden Hurst or Gronk are going to go. Um, yeah. If you told me they're going to go two rounds after this group, then I'd much rather just wait two rounds. But I don't. Like there are times where Hayden Hurst might go before Hunter Henry or Reverend Ingram. Um, and so in that case, then if one of those guys falls to the eighth, I feel pretty great about it. And I actually have NFC ADP up right now, and Hurst is four picks behind Ingram and ahead of Henry, and Higby's ahead of all of them, but they're all within 16 picks, those four. So Hurst, in some places, is in that tier, yeah. like Keith said. The next group after Henry, Higby, and Ingram is Jared Cook, Rob Gronkowski, Austin Hooper, Hayden Hurst. That rounds out the top 12. Jared Cook, Gronkowski, Hooper, and Hurst. And Hurst, in Fantasy Pros ADP, is well behind. He's like a round and a half behind the other three, Cook, Gronk, and, and Hooper. And yeah, just to clarify, I would not take Cook <laughs> round eight ahead of these guys. But um, as far as Gronk, Hooper, and Hurst go, who are your favorite? Who's your favorite? Gronk. Hurst. Hurst. And then it's the names we talked about. It's Fant, Kasicki, Hawkinson, Janu, Goddard, Ebron, Doyle, Jarwin, Howard, Olsen, Rudolph, Witten, Ian Thomas, Chris Herndon. Ian Thomas has played six games in the last two years without Greg Olsen, and he's been really good in like four of them. He's scored 14 or more PPR fantasy points in four of six games. Uh, so for that's something. <laughs> uh you know, things are different now. They have Robbie Anderson and whatnot and Teddy Bridgewater, but that's something. He's been good without Greg Olson. Um, do you want to spend, we end the show if you want to talk a little bit more about Gronkowski, maybe? We, that's kind of just barely glanced over him. Dave? What is there to say? I feel like I know less about him than I do about Higby. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. He's Rob, Rob Gronkowski. Let's talk about it. He spikes the ball really hard. He yeah. likes to party. He was once the greatest tight end of all time. He's also been injured a lot. Anybody else got anything else? Did I cover it. Oh, he uh, likes the number 69 a lot. I think Rob Gronkowski came back because he just, he, he, he loves football. He was talking about it during the Super Bowl. He refused to say that he was retired. I think he likes money too. And that could be another reason why he's decided to come back. Like he, he tried doing like a WWE stint and uh, a, a cannabis company stint and it just or working in media. And I think he's just, he's, he's a football player. And I think that adding him to this offense is going to put him in a spot that he hasn't been in, in a long time where, wow, he's not the number one target and teams just can't tee off on him 
all the time, double teaming him and, 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 and ruining his, his physical health. I think he can be, I think he could be a big time touchdown scorer provided that he stays healthy. And that's obviously a bugaboo here. You don't know how long you're going to have him for. He could be hurt after week two, but as long as he's on the field, I think he's going to put defenses in a major bind. I don't think the yardage is going to be there for him. I think the touchdowns will. And that's why if, if he plays 12 games, 13 games, I think he can score seven or eight times. And by Adam Azer's tight end math, that gives him a really good shot to be a top 12 tight end. Well said. Well said, everybody. Thank you very much. Good show. Good stuff. Everybody have a great week. Anybody have fun weekend plans? I'm golfing and I'm excited. No I'm not golfing and I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, I don't really have anything to do either. Let's see, maybe I'll fire up billions. Get that started. Oh, yes, I do have plans. Chappelle show all three seasons are now on CBS All Access. Hey, are you serious? This weekend, I am rewatching Chappelle show. Yeah, I've been it's been on Comedy Central. I've been watching some old episodes. Uh, The uh, the Rick, the Rick James stuff is incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Enjoy it. Everybody have a wonderful weekend. We'll talk to you Monday with Running Backs Part 1. We'll do Running Backs Wide Receivers plus a mailbag and some uh, some futures bets to talk about as well next week on Fantasy Football Today. See you later. Go win your league. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or... I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.